0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today, here at First Christian Church. To each of you here in the West Auditorium, to those here in the East, we're very glad you're with us. As also those of you who are watching us and participating in worship today, streaming online, what with the snow and everything, I know we have uh, literally hundreds of people of our congregation unable to get out today, and we're very glad that you're with us today. So it's uh, good that we can be together. I invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's about Oh, very, very little ways into the Bible. Book number five in the scriptures, okay? Deuteronomy chapter six. We're gonna, an unusual way of looking at scripture today, we're gonna to do it in two parts. I'm gonna start, we're gonna have communion together, and then Brian will finish. So be ready, we're going to, you're gonna see two of us up here today in a two-part sermon. And uh, to start our time together, if you're a guest with us today, let me introduce myself. I'm Wayne Kent, it's my privilege to be one of the pastors here. And, uh, very glad you're with us. Very glad that we uh, get to be together and that you braved the snow and made it through. Um, we heard of some people getting stuck today, on, decided they had to make their way back home, but I'm glad you're with us today. And uh, I want to start today by asking you to take a look at this photo of a man that is pictured as an Israeli soldier. Uh, and I want you to take note of what he's wearing. You see the leather strap around his arm? And you can also see uh, a, a box in the crook of his elbow there and one on his on his forehead. That's called a tefillin. And uh, we, we, you can see that he's obviously reading from a prayer book and you go, this is an Israeli soldier, must be something Jewish. And what's going on? You go, it looks kind of odd. It's different than what you would perhaps, how you would respond to prayer and to worship, but it's rather typical in Jewish circles. Maybe you've not seen that before, that little box in both places. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to see where it comes from. If you'll read with me Deuteronomy 6, you'll see where those Tephalon come from. It reads this way, beginning in verse 4. Moses is, is speaking. He's been the leader of the nation for 40 years. He is, this is his last major address to, the, to uh, his people, and he is old. He is Um, probably well past 80 into 90 years of age, maybe older. And so he is saying this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then he says, these commandments I give to you. So to understand what he's talking about, look back at chapter five and you'll see if you flip back a page or go back one screen on your phone, you'll see that there's um, a bunch of 10, that's where one of the places where the Ten Commandments is listed. And if you read throughout all of Deuteronomy, there's all these different rules or understandings, these uh, not regulations so much as guidelines and commandments would be a good way to put it. These things that he says, hey, if you want to do life that honors God, this is how he lays it out in the book of Deuteronomy. And he says, so in verse six then of chapter six, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Your youngsters need to know about them talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk around along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And then verse 8, take note of this. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the primary passage right here that causes some within the Jewish faith to wear that strap around their arm, that we, the photo we just saw, or to actually have that box on their forehead. And some wear them 100% of the time Others only strap them on or put them on when they're in the context of worship. But it's right here and right here. In response to what Moses has said, tie them on your foreheads, write them on your, on, write them on your arms, on your hands. And so here he is, the leader of the nation. For 40 years, he's led the people of Israel through all sorts of struggle. You may recall, prior to Moses, the nation had been in slavery for some 400 years. 400 years they've been enslaved in Egypt. Moses comes along. They get free. They wander through the Sinai Peninsula for about 40 years looking for land that they can say this belongs to us. And God says, I've got a promised land for you. And so off they go. And they're about to go into this promised land. And as they step into this moment of freedom on the cusp of new days, in that setting at the end of his life, Moses says, remember... Remember all that God has accomplished in the nation. Read the scriptures. Remember God's faithfulness. He suggests, perhaps figuratively, that these scriptures, these these commandments that he's giving, are to be so ingrained into their lives. It's like they're right here. First thing you think of at the very front of your head, or it's like how we would look at a watch these days the first thing you see when you bring your arm. Toward your faith is face is that, oh yeah, I've got these scriptures. And so some Jewish groups follow Moses' instructions literally. They have these little Teflon boxes, and inside the boxes are tiny little scrolls with very small handwriting, and they have four scriptures on there, and they're rolled up in scrolls, and they're put in those boxes, and they are intentionally saying, We are remembering the things that God has told us. Why? Well, Moses wanted his nation to remember God's faithfulness in bringing them out of slavery into freedom. And he was concerned. He was concerned that as they move into property that they would own, that they would become wealthy, that they would become more independent, that their houses, they didn't have houses, they're living in tents, they're going to move from tents to houses, and they're going to, their wealth is just going to grow, 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 and pretty quickly they're going to feel very independent which is all part of God's plan, as long as they remain dependent upon God. Feel good about all that's come your way, but at the same time, remember where it all came from. As a matter of fact, read with me beginning in verse 10 of how he puts it. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, when you get to this land where you're going to own things that God promised to give you, it's a land with large, flourishing cities you didn't build. There are going to be houses there with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide. Wells that you didn't dig and vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. In other words, a lot of things are going to come your way that you didn't manage, you didn't arrange for. When you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that's what we're doing this weekend. In celebrating 185 years of our church's ministry, we are reminding ourselves and everybody of something that is very important, namely that our, co- our existence as a congregation, first Christians' existence and our ongoing blessing and ministry only comes through God's faithfulness. None of what has been accomplished either in this present generation or the generations of our church that have come before us, none of that came as a result of our own hand. We will not and we must not forget God's faithfulness of care and leadership of the past. And so to that end, this weekend is a weekend in which we tell the story. We remind each other, okay, so this church is more than just today. It's got 185 years of history. But throughout that 185 years of history, God has been at work. And so what do we do? We tell the story to each other. We tell each other of God's faithfulness. And, you know, some, some are, you know, Leslie and I have been here since um, January of uh, 1994, 25 years. Uh, but there have been, there are lots of people in the life of God church who predate that. And if you knew their stories, you know that some people came in the 80s. Some people came in the 1970s, the 1960s, the 1950s. We have people in the life of God church now who came in the 19 19- 30s and 1940s, even some in the 1920s that we still, they don't get here every weekend, but that we know who they are. In all that story of the last 90 years where we have people around, those people can say, God has been faithful. But it goes beyond that. It goes for 185, for 185 years, we say, God has been faithful. We tell each other those stories. And we tell not only each other, those of us who have been around, but we also tell Newcomers, we tell newcomers of God's faithfulness. If you're a newcomer here, uh, within the last little while, I guess you could call yourself a newbie. I'm a newbie, and some of you have been around for so long that your newbiness is now wearing off, and that's fine, that's cool. But for others, your newbiness is fairly really newbie. I mean, so just recent weeks, recent months, or maybe today's your first day, and you go, "Man, I'm a brand new newbie." Well. Here's what I'm I'm aware of. For some reason or other, God and his faithfulness intervened in your life in recent days to get you into this building, to get you into the orbit of the sphere and the ministry of First Christian Church, not just for your sake, but for the sake of our community, for the sake of our world. Think about this. For some reason or other, you were driving past one day or you had a conversation with someone and the result of that was you find yourself today sitting in a pew, sitting in a chair, watching online, saying, I'm part of the life of First Christian Church. How cool is that? So we tell each other. We tell newcomers. We also tell our children. That's really what Moses is concerned about, that all these people who are going to move from being slaves into the promised land, he's got a bunch of young people around him. As a matter of fact, if you know the story of Israel, about a million people left Egypt all of them but two died on the way to the promised land. So, everybody moving into the promised land, none of them have been slaves but two. And he's concerned that those young people won't know the stories. He's concerned for his young people. And so, he, want, he says, Those of you in this younger generation who didn't live in slavery, be mindful of the story. Now, I want to tell you, friends, I didn't live sometimes I feel like it, sometimes I may look like it, but I didn't live through 185 years of this church's story. But even as wonderful as that is, and as important as it is for us to tell that story, here's something that's really important. Our church's story, which is profound, is nowhere near as important as something else we tell our children. And that is we have to tell our children of the story of Jesus Christ. That before this church was ever thought of, before anything like the United States of America existed, back in Genesis chapter 3... God said, I'm going to send Jesus Christ. That's the story to be told. That's what we need to tell our kids, in addition to the story of our church, absolutely. But that, that God decided back then, and history moved through this arc until we get to this high point of something called Calvary, called the cross, and then another high point called the resurrection. And we're still waiting for another high point where this, this huge story is going to come to this exciting finale with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Throughout all of that, we tell that story over and over again, even as we tell the story of our church. Our kids need to be told of that story as they hear the story of our church. So we tell ourselves, we tell the newbies, we tell our kids, and then as a congregation, it is our responsibility to tell the story of God's faithfulness far and wide. We are a mission agency. We send and we go. and. To that end, could I invite you to an event tonight? I know it's been rainy and snowy this weekend. Um, Tonight at 6.15, I'm inviting all the congregation to gather together here in the building. We'd like to pray for the coming year and the coming years. I'd like us to honor 185 years of service and ministry. But there are some decisions in front of us this coming year that are important. There are ministries in, in front of us this coming year that need God's blessing and God's direction. So tonight at 6.15, I'd invite you to join me and we'll have a prayer service. It's less than an hour long. Come and let's pray about what's coming down for us in the days ahead, okay? So I'd invite you to do that because here's why, why we'll pray. We will pray because this congregation, First Christian Church, is a sending, a mission sending agency. We tell others of Jesus Christ. We pray God will use us. And we speak his name inside these walls and outside these walls. Uh, Maybe I could explain it this way. When you're a church of 185 years, in 185 years, the church produces a lot of paper. Just because of bulletins and newsletters. And we have, we have records of who were members in, ni- in like 1880 or 1933, 1940. If you want to know, did my great great aunt go to this church? We could probably figure that out. And there are boxes and boxes of historical records. And, you know, we put out, we send that, we still make paper, even in the digital age. We send out a newsletter once a month. That newsletter is, I mean, it's one of the longest standing. Um, postal marks that the city has, our, our it's, a, it's a long story, but it, that we have this spe- spe- specific mark that you can't get anymore. It goes back decades, decades upon decades upon decades. And in the earlier years of our church, they used to take those newsletters, and every year they'd bind them into a hardcover book. And you can read all through what happened in the 1920s, what happened in the 1950s. I I picked one up this week. It was in the 1930s, 1933. And I'm reading through it, and it's got all kinds of mundane stuff in there, all sorts. And then there's an interesting thing. As I was reading all this history, I came across this, a, a need for something like, in 1933, anyone having grapes... They wish to donate for communion wine hello please call mrs dill five numbers two four three eleven and i'm thinking yeah right mrs dill that's really you're hoping to make communion wine i bet you're just looking to make some wine here why did you, the church is an easy way to do it i'll get all those grapes and, because how much communion wine does a small church of 1933 need, really need? Maybe I can make some. I'm just wondering, just wondering. What's interesting to me, though, is that if you read through all those papers, over and over again, you're going to repeatedly see the prayerful and financial support of this congregation doing work outside the walls. So when we say we work outside the walls here in this church and that we're looking at ways to care for our community, that's not new. We have records that show the very first person from our congregation that went as a missionary to Africa. You know, we have people in Africa today. Lynn Doria are there right now. We have people in a Muslim nation. We have people in Cuba. The very first missionary that we sent out to Africa was more than 100 years ago from this congregation. Not just supporting others over there, but from this church. As a matter of fact, one history book uh, from the 1960s, at that point saying the church had a long history, puts it this way. The long history of First Christian Church exists because of the great number of Christian people who have lived, sacrificed, and given whatever talent they had. Why? That the good news of Christ might be made known in this congregation, this community, and to the other parts of the world. What that means, friends, is when we go to this community, when we go to this world, we are following in the footsteps of the people who led this church and who were part of this church in the past. There's a story in each, foot, in each footstep. There's a story behind each person involved. There's a story behind every name associated with this church. There's a story of God's faithfulness in each person's life. And um, some of the stories are profound as I read through them. You know, I'll go and sit, sit in front of those boxes and pull stuff out and read. Others are, are sort of mundane. As I, but some of them are humorous. Some of them are quite funny. Like, here's a story that I think you'll find interesting. When Leslie and I first came to town in January 1 of 1994, one of the first people we met was um, a woman who had been part of the life of the church for years. As a matter of fact, there's records, in, there's oral history indicating that her father was part of the life of the church starting in the 1880s. Her name was Mary Mouche. Uh, she died in 2004. And Mary was old when she died. I, I, she, she made it her... her Task in life that no one knew how old she was even when we published her obituary. We have no idea I do know this that somebody came to me today that I was in she said I was in her third grade class in the mid-1950s And she was old then and so (laughs) So I I never knew how old Mary was when she died in 2004. She was a spinster school teacher all of her life. No chatter whatsoever in every conversation I had with her. No conversation ever of any man being romantically involved when she was young, when she was older. I just knew she was old, really old. Well, pardon me if you're 90 years old, but that's old, you know what I mean? Fair enough. Lovely lady, but a little bit older than me. And she comes to me and she says, you know, uh, Pastor Wayne, there's a day coming that since I'm older than you, I'll probably die before you. Um, and if so, when I die, I only have one instruction about my funeral. I'm, looking, I'm expecting to get this profound, you know, thing that's going to come. And she says, I want no men to be pallbearers at my funeral. <laughs> and I think I look like a codfish, huh? <laughs> and I'm going, what? She said, Wayne, regarding those men. If I wasn't good enough for them to take me out when I was alive, they sure as heck aren't taking me out when I'm dead. So we had no male pallbearers at her service in 2005. 2004, pardon me. Her story, Mary's story, is one of thousands in the life of our church. It's one of thousands have been written for more than 185 years. God has been faithful through all those stories. And we may not necessarily wear the stories with like straps wrapped around our wrists or on our forehead like this, but we carry them in our hearts. And here's my conviction and my promise to you in the days ahead. We'll do all we can to continue to prove faithful like those of our church of the past Because God will certainly maintain his faithfulness toward us. That we will never believe. One of the best ways that God has proven his faithfulness to us is, as I said, in the story of God's interaction with humanity in sending Jesus Christ. He came and he died for us. And here at this church weekly, we remember Jesus' death. And so we're going to have communion together right now. And as we gather um, as a congregation, uh, if you're online, you can do this with us. Go grab a cracker and grab some, a, a glass of water, whatever, and let's, i invite you to just be mindful of that Jesus died for you and that he uh, rose again. The scripture tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took, his, took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. and He said, I want you to do this and to remember my death. I want you to remember my faithfulness this morning. As we gather together, let's remember God's faithfulness. Let's pray together. God, uh, I marvel at 185 years of history. I'm honored, Lord, that you let me be part of that, that you let me stand in the line of a long list of pastors who've led a congregation for 185 years. I marvel, God, at uh, the impact of this congregation upon our community over those years. Father, that's only possible because of the coming of Jesus Christ. He died for us. For that, we are truly thankful. We remember his death today saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done,